Hey everybody, Jimmy Smith. On today's Unlocking the Cage podcast, we discuss Luke Rockhold. He is fighting this weekend and had some very incendiary comments about the UFC's pay structure. What do we think of that and what does it mean for his future? Also, I sit down with Mike Bond from MMAJunkie.com to discuss UFC 278 and the GOAT discussion for Kamaro Usman. Luke Rockhold setting media day on fire. That's right. It was something to behold. UFC 278 media day, right? So Rockhold and Costa both kind of have their back and forth with fans. They do. All right. So he may have scored some points here. Um, This is about fighter pay and how he feels about it. This is about Dana White running things. Here he is. Everything I'm saying is justified and truthful. Just because, like, I should be in a position of power before I say this shit? F*** off. I got nothing to lose. I don't need this business. It's just like, you know, I, I love the fighting. And I'm here to fight the best motherfuckers. And this happens to be the place where it's done. The company is f***ing growing. And they're implementing other little stupid-ass bonuses. $5,000 here, $5,000 there. $50,000, man. We've been stuck on this motherfucker for f- 20 f***ing years. I mean, back when GSP fought Jake, what is it, 100000 there was growing. There was there was when Lorenzo and Frank were running the show. There was real grounding wires. These guys don't they don't know what they're doing. They're letting Dana just run the show and suppress the sport. Man, I have some thoughts about that. I really, really do. But before that, let's get into how everyone isn't talking and why they aren't talking. Once again, Luke Rockhold, UFC 278 Media Day. Our lives are on the. F- Line. Healthcare needs to be taken care of. Our health needs to be taken care of. Mine is not, has not been taken care of. It's like, there's a lot of people that, there's a lot of things need to fucking change. It's like, I'm just not going to be scared to say it. Everyone wants to fucking, because they want to get that title shot. They want to move up. And they, I've fucking done it all. And then it's like, yeah, this is business. Every business is like this. It's about leverage. It's a game of leverage in life. And it's about fucking always keeping the upper hand. It's, it's not just here. It's everywhere. And if you let these motherfuckers think that they have that leverage it's only going to grow above you so it's just people understanding their worth okay um what i what what i'm having trouble understanding two sides to this number one you're fighting for the same bonus everybody else is fighting for you're fighting for what I'm sure is a, 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 an excellent payday because, you know, he's experienced, he's a former champion. He has stuff outside of the octagon. He would never have had to come back here. Um, he doesn't have to come back here. So he, the only reason he would come back here is if they're paying him a lot of money. That's great. I don't get why he's trashing a system he voluntarily came back to. It, it doesn't make sense to me. Dana's doing this, and this sucks, and we're treated terribly. You're lining up in the same trough as everybody else. For the same bonuses, the same, as you put it, bad pay structure and all this stuff, and, the, and yet you're sitting up there ready to fight again in a system that you feel is exploitative. I'm not saying you can't feel that. You can feel whatever he wants, but there is a certain hypocrisy level to coming back to a sport and then complaining about it the entire time when you're lining up for the same bonuses, the same pay, the same everything everybody else is lining up for. Um, 
my uh, dad was, was was raised on a farm in Kentucky, right? And part of his job when he was a kid was killing pigs. I don't mean to get overly graphic here, but that was part of his job. And I, my sister was a vegetarian. And one time she said, when they shoot pigs, they are so freaked out and so scared, they produce this adrenaline and chemical, and it's really bad for you. And my dad said, I used to shoot pigs. You line up a trough, you fill it up with food, and as the pig is sitting there eating, I would walk up behind the pig, and I'd shoot it with a twenty-two right in the back of the head. And he said, you know what the other pigs do? They eat the pig's food. They step right over the body of the other pig and eat the pig's food. That's what my dad told me when I was a little kid. He goes, hey, couldn't, couldn't care less. Step right over to the other pig and eat the food. It's hard to listen to one of those pigs go, you're an idiot. You're about to get shot. You know you're eating in the trough right next to me where they come by and they shoot us while we're eating at this trough. And you're sitting here stuffing your face, calling me stupid when we're all in the same boat. Bunch of cows in the slaughterhouse. The one at the end is making fun of the one at the front. Hey, it's just a matter of time, dude. So I, I, I just don't get the mentality of someone who, by his own admission, didn't have to come back here. Coming back and going, the pay sucks, the bonuses suck, and Dana sucks. And All right, then why are you supporting the system and making them money and being part of this system if you don't have to be? You are signing up to be part of the empire. Darth Vader's a criminal and da-da-da-da-da. And you put on your stormtrooper gear and get out there and man a post. I don't know what to tell you. How are you part of the solution going back and doing the same thing everybody else is doing? Getting them pay-per-view money. You're on a pay-per-view, dude. You're going to make the UFC a lot of money so they can, in your words, screw fighters and do all the things they're doing. But why are you part of that? Why? And the second part of it is I didn't hear any of this while you were champion. And that is one of those things. And I'm not saying fighter pin UFC is great. I'm not, I'm not saying any of those things. What I'm saying is very few people bite the hand that feeds them uh, when they're near the top. When, they, when they're at their, their, their biggest and their best and they're doing the most and they're getting paid the most, that's when they tend to shut up and take the money. And then it's at the end of their careers. They take a few losses and they start seeing the end. We're not taking care of it. We don't get health care. I heard none of this after you beat Chris Weidman. You were as short-sighted as every other mixed martial artist in the world. It's so the guy who turns 60 and starts going, man, I should watch my calories. No, you should have watched them in your 40s. It's a little late now. So it's that same kind of mentality. So those are the two sides. When I hear him talk about these things, Number one, why are you contributing to a system? You can say, oh, I'm here to fight the best. Yeah, but you're also making the UFC a ton of money. And according to you, they are exploiting their fighters. Well, you're a part of that system. You are. You're a part of that system. So that's number one. Why would you voluntarily, and I understand you're not starving to death. Your polo deal, I'm sure you're making a ton of money. So it's this idea that um, you're contributing to a system that you acknowledge is unfair when you don't have to. Number two is, once again, the pattern we see over and over again is fighters really don't say anything while they're at their peak and can really do something about it. This is another example of that. Once again, when he was champion, I didn't hear any of this. That is why what something like Francis Ngannou is doing, which is causing a stink and being a problem at the height of his powers when he's heavyweight champion, is so rare and so commendable. 
because so few do it. So those are the two sides of the coin here to me. It is a pig at a trough turning to the other pigs going, how do you eat this crap? I don't know. Your face is in it too. How do you know you're not being manipulated, about to get shot in the back of the head? Yeah, you too. We're all about to be bacon. You aren't in any better position than I am. So I don't, those two sides I don't really get. And once again, it's not about fight or pay. It's not about those things. It's about when these arguments come up and why. That's what I don't understand. I understand how he feels about fight or pay. I get that. But as we've said over and over on this show, until the fighters themselves want to do something about it, take risks and unionize and collectively bargain, this is all pissing in the wind. It doesn't mean anything. And the idea you hear over and over and over again, which is true about this fight, and, you know, um, I know KOB is doing stuff right now, so I don't know if I can bring him in to talk about it, but, but earlier, KOB, what did you say about if he gets knocked out by Paulo Costa? I mean, I remember us having this moment when Tony Ferguson fought last. He, he, you know, got up in the media day, started talking a ton about fighter pay and how it's wrong and all the things that UFC's been doing wrong to him. And, and everybody, then, everybody was team Tony. Then, everybody was all, yeah, Tony Ferguson's saying how it is. And then Tony Ferguson goes out there and gets knocked out by Michael Chandler, and we all just forgot. Like, oh, yeah, this is the guy who was complaining about pay. Like, he can't even – he just got knocked out because that's what always happens. These guys complain, and they have our attention – before the fight, and then if something bad happens and they lose, especially if they get knocked out, people go, "Oh, this is the guy who's fighting for fighter." That's pay. indicative like, of somehow they're maybe, yeah, yes. maybe maybe win a fight, maybe win a fight, and then we could talk about fighter pay as if the issues are like you know synonymous with each other, like that one specific person's performance and the issue of fighter pay. Like what they said before doesn't matter anymore because they lost. That's what happened to Tony Ferguson. I feel like if this happens to Luke Rockhold, if he gets knocked out. Same thing. Be like, oh, talking a lot of talking a lot of trash for someone who just got knocked out again. And it's it, it's this idea that people uh, associate it with. And 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 please let me know if you feel this. Sour grapes. You're just saying this because you are upset that your career isn't what it used to be, right? They kind of equate this like, well, you're just saying what you're saying because you don't have a career anymore. And getting knocked out by Paulo Costa would be part and parcel of that. Now, I don't connect those things necessarily. I do connect the willingness to go back to the UFC with the same, you know, difficulties everybody else has and then kind of criticize everybody else for saying the same thing. It doesn't make any sense to me. Here's the line that I have trouble with that, that when is he going after the UFC? When is he going after other fighters? Saying the UFC doesn't pay enough, that, but also saying you guys are idiots for not standing up for yourselves. Well, what are you doing? You're here, too, fighting for the UFC, getting the same bonus, fighting for the same stuff. Who are you to talk to me that way? That's the kind of the issue. KLB, am I, am I making it clear what I'm saying here? I don't mind him talking about fighter pay, but he's also going, you guys are idiots for not standing up for yourselves. He's up there doing the same thing. Does that make sense, KLB, why, why that's difficult for me? I, 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 I'm somewhat following what you're saying. Yeah. He doesn't need to fight, and I think that's his point. Like he just wants, but to he's fight. here. But he just wants he's, to fight. He, like apparently he's got for money. the UFC. True, but, so, what, like, but, but who else is he going to fight for, Jimmy? Like they got his contract. Would you, but is it worse that he chose to come back to a company and make them money and then trash them? Maybe possibly. He didn't have to be here to a degree. Yeah. yeah, but I think the point is like I'm fighting because I want to. They have my contract. There's nothing else I can do, and I want to fight. 
but I have money outside. I don't need to fight in the UFC, and that's why I'm going to talk about him the way I'm talking about him. Like I think that's his point of like, yeah, I'm here because I, I actually want to fight. I have a desire to still fight, and they have my contract. I don't have a choice, but I, you know, I don't have a choice of who I can fight for. I have to fight for them, but I don't need them, and I'll t- and I'll trash them publicly to you right here, right now. Yeah, but while making them money on pay per views, you're part but of again, the machine. You don't, you you don't are have a choice about. if you want to fight, Jimmy. You got to fight for the UFC. You cannot fight. He's making but a he, doesn't have to. But no, but that's the point. Is he wants to fight? He still has a desire to fight. And unfortunately, the UFC holds his contract. We've seen what they're doing with Nate Diaz. They got they got your contract. They got you. They're gonna have you forever, yeah. right? But my so he but, wants to fight. But it's the absurdity of. Coming back to fight when he doesn't, he said he doesn't financially have to, and contributing to a system that he says is unfair. That's what he's doing. Well, there's That's, that. Another yeah. way to look at it is he used his time fighting for the company. Like, yeah, they, maybe they'll make money off him, but he just went out in their media day and bashed the, the company publicly. So, which I never, which I never heard when he was champion. Which is the other side of it. True. I understand why he's saying what he's saying, kind of taking the stance he's taking. But my argument is he's also contributing to the machine he's criticizing. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Mike Bond from MMA Junkie to talk not just a UFC pay-per-view this weekend, but all the talk leading up to it, including Luke Rockhold. So, with that, welcome in Mike Bond. How you doing, my man? Hey, it's good to be back, man. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Let's dive right in. Like the men we are who know MMA. So, UFC 278. Let's start off with a big storyline, obviously, in the main event. Uh, Kamar Usman chasing GOAT status at 170, if not pound-for-pound GOAT status. How big of a step do you believe Leon Edwards is toward that and the accusation that he might be looking past Leon Edwards? What do you think of those two sides of the coin? Oh, well, I guess I'll go to the second one first. I don't think he's looking past it. I think tomorrow, he said it from the beginning, right? He's like, I don't focus on the fight, and I know he'll say things. But in terms of you know what we've seen from his actual performances, we haven't seen really too many slip-ups. I mean, I think the biggest criticism you could throw at him would maybe be the first Masvidal fight with you know the the fence pushing and the foot stomps and stuff. But we know the circumstances around that were actually you know, pretty crazy at the short notice. So he seems pretty locked in every time. Um, and yeah, so I'm not too worried about that. But yeah, I think this is a good step. I mean, this is a special fight, man. It's the first time in UFC history where two guys who have gone on streaks of 10 or more fights unbeaten in the octagon are fighting each other. So that is extremely unique and extraordinary. Um, so I think that goes to show like a win here would mean a lot for the resume. Of course, it's been hounded to death ahead of this fight. He'll tie Anderson Silva for the longest winning streak in UFC history. So like if all these things aren't enough motivation for him going into this one, I guess nothing would be. How much do you look at? And of course, I, I, I've been watching it throughout the week to get ready for this for this pay-per-view this weekend. Um, Kamar Usman, Leon Edwards, 2015, seven years ago is the first time they clashed. You saw flashes of greatness from both guys, but it was almost, as I said, like a high school player who's great in the NFL. You can see pieces of it. They're a lot better now. How much do you think it's going to look like the first fight, or should we throw that out the window? 
Uh, I want to throw it out the window. It's hard to say. Like, you look at that back, and they just both look like such babies, like physically, yeah. skill-wise, compared to where they are now. So um, I feel like it's not that relevant, but it has to be to a degree, right? Like, they know the feel in there. Um, I think if you're Leon Edwards, you probably take more confidence out of that fight than Camaro, just because he, I mean, if you compare the two, if you say who looks more like the different fighter, to me it's probably Leon. He claims he had no grappling in that fight, and he didn't do you know, horrifically, there's guys that you would think were, you know, better grapplers than him that have done worse against Camaro. So uh, for him, I would take a lot of confidence away from that fight. Camaro, I mean, he's just on a different level, obviously. He's, you know, evolved into such a great fighter, one of the pound for pound greats right now. So, um, yeah, I think both those guys can take little bits and pieces, but for them, I wouldn't be, you know, relying on the tape of this is where I succeeded, this is where I failed, because I think a lot of those holes are going to be short up on both sides. Speaking of Mike Bond, of course, from MMAJunkie.com. Uh, another question I have, no fault of his own, but Leon Edwards, since the end of 2019, has fought twice. Bilal Muhammad, no contest, second round. Then Nate Diaz, a puffed-up 155-pounder who's known for his boxing and his jiu-jitsu, hasn't been able to really warm up and get here with fighters that were anything like Kamaru Usman. Do you see, see that as a negative leading into this fight? Yeah, I think that probably is fair for sure. The inactivity has not been ideal for Leon, as you said, through no fault of his own, but um, it's still the reality of the situation, right? Like, he, didn't, he hasn't fought in over a year at this point. So, like, that Nate Diaz fight was a long time ago, and the last time we had him in there was a long time before that. So um, these aren't very, you know, things that you want to hang your hat on as, like, you know, positive signs for sure. But I guess on the flip side, you could say Kamaru was extremely active last year in three fights injured his hand, had surgery, a layoff for him. So, like, Leon's definitely the fresher guy, if that means anything. And I think, you know, if you're him, you're looking at it that way. Like, I haven't put myself through nearly as much, and I think he's known for a long time he would be getting this title shot and Kamaru would be the guy he would be fighting. So, while Kamaru is focusing on Gilbert Burns and Jorge Masvidal and Colby Covington, Leon's been pretty much only focusing on him during that time. So, I think that's definitely an advantage on his end. Uh, let's shift gears just a little bit and talk about the 135-pound division, which, in, in my personal opinion, I think outside of 155, it's the top division right now in the UFC. Jose Aldo, Marab Dvalishvili. Jose Aldo, a sentimental favorite for a lot of fans like me who would love to see him get a uh, title opportunity at 135. Uh, what do you think of this fight, Jose Aldo, Marab Dvalishvili, a, a, a wrestler with an endless gas tank? How do you see this fight going down? Yeah, I would like it a lot more for Aldo if it was five rounds. Um, this three-rounder kind of worries me a little bit. Just with Marab's style, I mean, you could argue he really only needs two takedowns to win this fight. You know, maybe first or second round, first and third round, second and third round, and he can eke out a 29-28 decision. Obviously, he has to do something with it on the ground, and getting Aldo down is a monumental task, as we've seen over the past decade-plus in his fights, but... Um, if you're Marab, I think that would be kind of the mindset you're going in there with. Let's get him to the ground, you know, once around um, and see where it goes from there. See what we can do with Aldo off his back. And obviously we know when Aldo brings to the table, I think uh, for him it's really important to start this fight very quickly and, you know, establish some offense in the early going and maybe make uh, Marab shy away from the takedowns and the grappling, at least to a degree. And then he can start opening up a little more. And I think that would breed success. But, yeah, the 15 minutes does worry me a bit. I think uh, that's why I ultimately picked Marab, because I think he's ultimately going to be able to get uh, some of those takedowns and just be able to, you know, make it a 29-28 type of fight. 
Speaking of Mike Bond from MMAJunkie.com. So with all the activity at 135, we just saw Marlon Chito Vera knock out Dominic Cruz. Uh, we have coming up, of course, a title fight, TJ Dillashaw versus Aljamain Sterling. We also have... Um, we also have, of course, the Sugar Sean O'Malley versus Piotr Jan coming up. So much activity at 135. What do you think the odds are that a victorious, and that's a very, very if, a victorious Jose Aldo gets a title shot if he wins over Rob Dvalishvili with everything going on in the division? I think it's pretty good um, unless Sean O'Malley gets a spectacular win over Piotr Jan. Then I think uh, he's probably the guy they shoehorn into the top of the line. But I think... You know, with all the stuff going on, people seem to forget that Aldo beat Chito Vera not that long ago. So he has, I think, that edge on him in terms of the title picture. And obviously, you know, a fight you didn't mention, Corey Sanhag and Song Yidong, I don't think they're really yeah. in the running in that regard. So, yeah, I think Aldo has a pretty damn good case if he's able to get this win. And bless, you know, Sean O'Malley does something, you know, not so spectacular. I know Piotr Jan beat Aldo, but... Um, especially if Sterling defends the belt. I don't think they are going to do a Yawn versus Sterling three uh, anytime in the very near future. So uh, I think Aldo's got a pretty good chance here, even if like he just edges out a really close win. I don't think it needs to be anything extraordinary or spectacular. He just needs to get his hand raised, and then he should be Piotr Jan's biggest fan. Uh, speaking of fights outside of the main event uh, this weekend, UFC 278. We also have Paulo Costa versus Luke Rockhold. Luke Rockhold, very verbal at the media day about fighter pay, about how he thinks people are settling for very little from the UFC. Um, a lot of ways to look at this. And what I've been discussing on the show so far is the idea that you didn't have to come back. You are coming back. You're kind of feeding from the same trough as everybody else and saying, why are you idiots taking all this when he's lining up taking it as well. Um, what are your thoughts on his statements at Media Day and, and what that means for the continuation of his career? Yeah, I think uh, to a degree, I think he missed the mark in his comments. I mean, I, the stuff he said was fair, but when it comes to, like, fighter pay and stuff, I mean, the, the idea of, oh, let's add, you know, 25K or 50K to the fight night bonuses, like, that's not the crux of the issue. The crux of the issue is, you know, revenue split and our, the fighter is getting their fair share of the pie in that regard. So, like, that's the stuff that I think these fighters need to be hammering home consistently on that front. I mean, like, the bonus stuff and how it was, you know, more in some events 10 years ago compared to where it is now, that's all completely fair. But if the fighters were getting, you know, their proper share, that extra 50K you may get with the, you know, right performance or fight of the night uh, would not compare to the money you would be getting overall to your purse if the revenue share was different. So to me, I think that's kind of the, the point you missed a little bit. But, you know, to have someone sitting up there in that setting with all the eyes on, with UFC staff sitting around, with, you know, people that he has to be around all week and see face-to-face, it's very bold of him, and I commend him for being as ver- verbal as he was. Um, uh, there's just, yeah, so much there to unpack, like however you want to go with it. But I think he opened up some eyes and, you know, got some fan support on his side. And I, you know, love the, this version of Luke Rockhold late career. Feels like he's got nothing to lose and can say whatever he wants. Because you can watch uh, any interview he's done over the past months and there is some sort of nugget or relevant gem that I think people should be listening to that's important. And they may not like the messenger, but uh, the actual message is significant in my mind. How do you feel about the criticism, which I have levied on this show as well, that 
the problem is, is as you said, at this stage in his career, he says a lot. We generally don't hear from people while they are champion and have the biggest microphone. As you said, he's got yeah. nothing to lose. But when he had something to lose, we didn't hear anything. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and in fairness to you, when you're on top of the world as a UFC champion, it is a, a different game. Like, you know, the I, you don't hear, I mean, it happens here and there, but like the difference between being a contender and being a champion in 2022 financially from the UFC is pretty significant. And that's why they, you know, dangle that carrot out there for everyone. And that's why they pursue that goal. So um, maybe he was more complacent with what he was getting when he was, you know, the top guy, but uh, as things change and evolve, it's been, you know, five years since he's won a fight. So, like, obviously inflation and the UFC is significantly more profitable than it was back then. So, like, I get all his points where he's coming from. Um, but, yeah, I guess when you're the champion and you're getting certain things, you don't want to rock the boat nearly as much. So, uh, tactically, and, of course, speaking to Mike Bond from MMAfighting.com, tactically, when you look at this fight, Paulo Costa, of course, a very heavy hitter, but comparatively limited. Can't do a lot of stuff. He basically throws big punches, and he's a giant at 185. Luke Rockhold, much more versatile, but a lot of questions about his chin in his last few fights. How do you see this one shaking out tactically, beyond the words of Luke Rockhold, tactics in the octagon? Yeah, I mean, I think Luke ultimately has to fight the perfect fight if he intends on it being a majority stand-up fight if he's able to get a takedown i think you know he is on a different level uh, i think a lot of people forget how vicious and violent luke rockhold can be on the ground just ask someone like chris weidman you know so i think uh, that's something that my whole game plan would revolve around that any striking he does should be to set up an opening or find something for takedowns so he can get it there but the longer it's on the feet and the more they exchange the more concern i have because you know, he can take three years off. He can do anything he wants, train with this person, train with that person. You can't improve your durability or change your ability to take a shot, especially at his age and the amount of knockouts he's taken. So um, I think, you know, everyone's going to be sitting on the edge of their seat in that regard anytime Paulo Costa throws a bomb. And um, I definitely have, you know, those same concerns about Lou Rockhold's chin. I think everyone does. But uh, I think so. I think when it gets on the feet, he needs to be 100% error-free, one mistake will cost him. If it goes to the ground, I think we see domination from Luke Rockhold. I have a difficult question for you because this would be a difficult yeah. question for me. I want you to give me two things. The odds that a victorious Luke Rockhold would have gotten a title shot before his comments at the media day and the odds that a victorious Luke Rockhold gets a title shot after his comments at media day. How different are they? Uh, I think pretty significant now. I mean, yeah. I think this, I think this, and this was said by Dana White even before um, the interview that he did at Media Day, but like he had heard obviously some other stuff that he had said at other interviews because it's been kind of coming out slowly but surely all week. But uh, Dana White, I believe Kevin Ioli asked him, like Luke says that if he wins this fight, he deserves a title shot and he's going to wait as long as it uh, needs to get it. And uh, usually Dana White is like, oh, like waiting for a title shot isn't a good idea. That's kind of like his standard thing. It's always smarter to yeah. be active, yada, yada, yada. In this scenario, he said, if Luke Rockhold wants to wait out for it, go for it. And like, I think that pretty much says it all. Like, you know, he can sit out as long as he wants and hope for that title shot. But I don't think by any means like he's going to get it. Um, you know, obviously a lot can change. He's still got a big name. We'll see on the performance. But 
Uh, I think from everything he said and, you know, his inactivity, just one win against Paulo Costa, who in his own right hasn't won a fight in three years. I don't think that necessarily makes him the top contender. I think he would just be banking on it based on resume and name value and stuff, which it, in fairness, plenty of people have got title shots off before, but um, I think, you know, given his standing with the UFC probably right now, and, you know, I haven't heard Dana White respond specifically to these comments. I don't know how they feel about him internally, but you can see, you know, he's the only media day interview they didn't post on their YouTube channel and things like that. So I think it's pretty clear that they're not thrilled with him. And, um, yeah, I would not be banking to get that shot if I was Luke Rockhold. My last question for you, of course, about the main event uh, coming up, UFC 278. I'm on with Mike Bond right now from MMAJunkie.com. Who right now, in your opinion, is the top welterweight of all time? Who do you put in that GOAT spot at 170? You're going to ask this to the Canadian? I mean, come yep. on, man. I, feel like I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, it's George St. Pierre. Like, and I think it's more so just, I mean, I know the, the big difference here is everyone points to title defenses, and GSP does have those to his advantage. And um, But the difference is I think GSP got the belt, you know, I think like four or five fights into his UFC run or like a title shot then, whereas Usman I think was 12-0 you know, or 11-0 in the UFC when he – got his first title opportunity so he had to do a lot more work before the reign as opposed to GSP's run was with the belt and obviously that's pretty significant too um, I think Usman if he keeps winning a one or two more I think he unseats him right now I sit with George St. Pierre just because he was a guy that uh, to me like the all-time great fighters what really like establishes their legacy is they beat the generation of fighters who come before them, you know, in George St. Pierre's case, that'd be, you know, the Matt Hughes of the world. And then guys who came up with him, you know, like the Carlos Condits of the world, things like that. And then the generation that came after them. So for GST, like the Johnny Hendrixes and things like that. So to me, like, I don't think Usman's quite being able to do that across, you know, all the eras, but he's getting there slowly, but surely. And I think the one that would absolutely do it if he wins this fight would be Hamzat Chemaev. Because Hamzat Chemaev came in after him. He has that, you know, new generation guy. He can beat Leon Edwards, and then he can beat Hamzat. I think he's 100% there. But as of right now, I will stick with George Napier. As a good Canadian should. Mike Bond, MMAJunkie.com. Thank you so much for joining us, my man. Appreciate it, man. Unlocking the Cage is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. Plus, catch Unlocking the Cage weekdays from 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation Channel 156 and on the SXM app. Sirius XM Podcasts.